It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 707 on a Saturday morning, 69 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I'm here to help you be more successful. If you're not successful, if things are dying and lawns are not looking like they ought, and if you've got problems with bugs and creatures and anything like that, give me a call at 404-872-0750. We'll take a look at it and figure out what is going on. Carol, Jim, Alice, Margaret, Connor will be with you in just a second. Well, let's start with Carol. She's been waiting the longest. Carol, hey, from Marietta, joins us on Lawn and Garden. Carol, good morning. Hey, Walter. Hey, um, yes, last fall, I transplanted some azaleas that were in a place I didn't want them. I put them in a new place. But the ground being so hard, I didn't dig it deep enough, and now they're, two of the three are suffering. Ooh. So do I go ahead and dig them out deeper now or wait? You know, there's going to be a run on spading forks at the hardware stores this morning because every answer, it seems like, or every other answer involves <laughs> a spading fork. You can do something that's called vertical mulching, and okay. you'll sort of see what I mean in just a second, but you can use a spading fork to do vertical mulching on a tired, not very enthusiastic azalea or any other shrub that you have in the landscape. And all you have to do is get a bag of soil conditioner, you know, the barky kind of stuff all mixed up in your hand, and uh, put, oh, I guess, about a pint or a pint and a half maybe of milorganite or EB stone fertilizer or um, Espoma fertilizer, one of the organic kind of fertilizers, and mix the two of them together in a wheelbarrow. You're mixing in the organic matter, the soil conditioner, with the um, organic fertilizer. Mix it up real good, and then spread a layer on the ground underneath the azalea. Take the spading fork then, jab it in the ground, wiggle it a little bit, and as you mix this organic stuff it's laced with fertilizer, I think the azalea for the next couple of couple of months is going to think, boy, I am, I am going to heaven right now. Not literally heaven, but they are growing. They will look really good. So that's what you do, an organic oh. fertilizing uh, application that I call vertical mulching. So I don't need to dig it out and make the holes deeper and put it deeper in the ground? Not necessarily. If you do the vertical mulching, you're not having to damage the roots that you would normally damage as you dig it out of the ground. And I think it'll get about as much stimulation from what you do with the, with the verticality of the thing rather than digging it up and trying to re-amend the soil. Well, that sounds a lot easier. Yeah. Okay, one other quick question. Quick. I've got a rose that's in more shade now, and do I go ahead and put it out in the full sun now or wait till it's cool? I think off wait till it's cool. I think we've still got several weeks of hot weather ahead of us, and roses are not going to be real happy to be moved from one place to a hotter place. Nah, I'd wait till, I don't know, end of September. I think that would be fine. Okay, that sounds good. All right, thank you very much. Thanks for calling, Carol. Bye. We've got Jim in Atlanta who joins us. Jim, hey, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. How can I help? Well, I live in South Carolina, and uh, I have a very sandy yard. Yeah. And I'm trying to get the grass to grow, but I've tried seeds and all, but it doesn't seem to take. Yeah. 
What, when, when I do my classes for master gardeners, I hold up a handful of soil conditioner. I just talked to uh, the lady a second ago about soil conditioner, but when I hold it up, I say, this is the miracle stuff. This improves clay soil. This improves sandy soil. This improves any kind of soil that you've got. Mix this stuff in. And soil conditioner is, what, $3 a bag or something like that. And I don't see enough of it being sold in Atlanta or, in your case, in South Carolina, Jim, because that, that's the answer. You mix organic matter into the soil, and it makes a sandy soil more water retentive. It makes it so it holds water for a longer time. Okay. You know, I, I was thinking of the stuff like they spray on, you know, the side of the highway yeah. and on the hills to grow grass. I was thinking about trying to buy some of that. No, nope. uh, I mean hydro seeding is appropriate in some situations where you got a big area to plant seed in. But the basic problem is sandy soil dries out so fast. I mean that really is the problem with getting to grass to grow there. And I think that adding some, at least an inch or so of organic matter and tilling it in maybe six or eight inches deep, that would make okay. all the difference in the world to sandy soil. Grass would be crazy if it didn't grow in that kind of environment. All right. Well, I, I really appreciate that. Um, very educational show. I've uh, been learning a lot. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Organic matter, the magic stuff that helps everything. That's the stuff. I sure appreciate it. Thanks for calling, Jim. Yep. We got Connor. Sorry about it. Cut Jim's, off, Jim's voice off just a second there. But Connor's in Jasper, and Connor gets his turn. Hey, Connor, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, Connor. What are you smelling in this oak tree? Uh, well, it's it's a quite a large oak. It's about a twenty five inch oak. It's right in front of my house, and I'm yeah. kind of worried about it uh, being so close to the house right. and it having this issue. But it's got a a hole at the base. It's probably about I don't know twelve inches up from the ground, and it's about the size of an eraser on a pencil. And it's just spewing yeah. white pus out of it. Right. <laughs> you can actually hear it coming out of the tree. You hear it sort of. Like that, just a little bit, sort of a hiss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I gotta tell you, the bees love that. Whatever, whatever <laughs> that is coming out of. Then I don't know about your social habits there, Connor, but myself, occasionally a beer is not a bad thing to have on a hot summer afternoon. And when I open that beer bottle and it goes like that, that is a really nice sound. And your tree is bottom line doing about the same thing. It has a bacterial infection. Um, technically, we call it slime flux, but bottom line, it's the sap underneath the bark that's fermenting a little bit. And that is what you're hearing, the fermentation of as the bubbles are, are forming and cracking open, I guess. And the stuff that's spewing out of that hole is just sort of the product of fermentation. Like if you took a beer and shook it up real good, we'd put your thumb over the top and it spewed all over everybody. So what you have is something that is just sap fermenting, and that's what it is. And Honestly, truly, the best thing to do is to wash it off. Because the bees, like you said, the bees love it. The bees will fly around upside down sometimes. <laughs> they eat so much of it, they get drunk. And wasps and flies and things like that. But bottom line, washing it off the tree is about all you can do. You can't heal it. The tree will have to heal it itself. Do I need to worry about maybe taking it out? Is that a no, issue that no, might? No, rarely does it go far enough to make a tree unstable or to rot the base of the tree enough for it to fall over. 25 inches is a big tree, and just this little localized infection there is not going to markedly affect the health and the strength of the tree trunk. Okay. Uh, yeah. One more question for you. Arborist, would that be a county extension uh, office to get 
uh, find one? Or? Uh, yeah, the easiest, honestly, way that I find arborists to recommend to people is to go to their professional organization website. It's called georgiaarborist.org. And there's a little search engine on the side that says, what kind of services do you need? Do you need uh, tree health evaluation, which is, I think, what you would need? Or do you need tree removal? Or do you need uh, insurance evaluation? You know, whatever you happen okay. to need for an arborist to do. But it's georgiaarborist.org. All right. Thank you. Right. Nothing to it. Thanks for calling, Connor. All right. Interesting question. Slime flux. Bacterial wet wood is another name for it. It happens not only on oaks. I see it on sometimes uh, birch trees, beech trees. Ooh, where else? Hickory. Yeah, the hickory in front of the Emory campus. I used to see the slime flux on the hickory tree, too. Alice is in Villarica and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Hello. Alice. Good morning. Hi. I planted two gardenia bushes about four feet high, four feet tall. They're trees. Yeah. And the buds form, but they won't open. They won't open. Some of them are falling off, and some of them, they just won't open like they should. What do I do? When did you plant them? Uh, probably June, May or June. Yeah, they're just um, trying to figure out what in the heck you mean for them to do right now, <laughs> Alice. They're thinking, oh, I don't know about this. May, June's hot, it's dry. What are we going to do? And the last thing on their mind at this point is opening up to bloom. They're, they're probably a little water deficient is what I really think is going on because of the heat of June and July. And uh -huh. there's just not enough water to really give it the turgor in the leaves to open up a flower. So don't okay. worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, well, at least the leaves are green and they're not falling off. Yeah, that's the big thing. You want nice, green, healthy leaves, and that tells me that you've done a pretty good job watering. So congratulations on that. You've, you've got a healthy shrub. It's just not quite ready to put flowers and do all the stressful things that happen along with, with blooming. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Thank all you. Nothing to it. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. 716 gives Margaret her turn. Margaret's in Locust Grove and calls, calls us this morning. Hey, Margaret. Good morning. Morning. How are you? I'm doing fine. What's what's going on with your peaches? Yeah, there is a gluey, <coughs> sorry, a gluey substance. Every time it bears, this substance comes upon the fruit and yeah. also by the root. Yeah. Uh, on the fruit, right. I know what it is. On the root, I'm not so sure about that. But on the fruit, it is a weevil that attacks peaches and plums. It's called the curculio or peach weevil or plum weevil, I guess, depending on who it's attacking, and Controlling it is something that starts at the very beginning of the spring season. Controlling curculio right now is probably the horse is already out of the barn. They insert their little beak into the fruit, and it makes sap come out through the hole, and it gets real gummy-looking, and it's usually accompanied by a little worm inside the peach fruit, which is not what you want either. Now, from the roots, oh, man, Margaret, is it right at the base of the tree? What's going on? Yes, it's at the base of the tree. The same, the same substance on the fruit is the same thing around mm -hmm. the root. I'm going to tell you what. Rather than going through all the uh, all the permutations of what gummosis can look like, let me give you a word. It's G U M M O S I S. Gummosis. And if you go to WalterReeves.com, my website, WalterReeves.com, and type the word gamosis in, uh, in the search line, it'll give you a big, long article about what gamosis is, how it can be treated, what you should do. But there's so many things that we don't have time really to talk about this morning, Margaret, that I'd rather you read that article. And if it doesn't make sense to you, call me again next Saturday. But I think that's what you have is gamosis. But for the fruit, curculio, C-U-R-C-U-L-I-O, curculio, or 
peach weevil, plum weevil, and you can look those up as well. Right now, it is 718, and you're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Time for a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Cooler temperatures today, lower humidity. Yes, yes, yes. Some much-needed relief from summer heat. Afternoon highs in the upper 80s, probably not cracking 90, though. Slight chance of scattered showers this afternoon and partly cloudy skies this evening. Lows in the mid to high 60s. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Don't forget, for in-depth news coverage, Pick up your Sunday Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They are going to have clip coupons, I should say, that you can clip and save up to $207 in the newspaper tomorrow. Howard is in Jackson, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Howard. Good morning. Good morning. How good can morning. I do for you? Uh, I've got some azaleas in my yard that are probably 10 or 12 years old. Uh, I don't know. I didn't plant them, but they haven't bloomed in the last three years. Wow. So, is it? I mean, that's basically the thing you want to see what to do to make them bloom. Yeah. How, how have you fertilized them, Howard? I haven't. <laughs> yeah, there's the answer right there. Um, so, it's not too late or too early, for that matter, to fertilize uh, azaleas at this time of year. It's August, okay, so they're not going to need much fertilizer. They're not. You're not trying to make a lot of growth on them or anything. But I think a little fertilizer right now would not hurt the situation at all. And like a lot of woodland plants, azaleas, camellias, blueberries, they love, they love to be fertilized with a very slow-release organic fertilizer. Espoma, uh, uh, the Pike uh, EB Stone product is great. Um, Milorganite, you can find that at most garden centers. But any of those really, really slow-release organic fertilizers would be terrific to put on azaleas even right now. Well, I have my lawn fertilized, but I thought maybe I was getting... Uh, a little on there from those, you know. Maybe. Raw material. Yeah, but I think lawn fertilizer is sort of a different breed of chemical yeah. cat from um, from what you'd like to put onto the azaleas and camellias and stuff. I still, so what, I still what, think. Uh, I, what kind is it? What's the Espoma is one brand name you find at most garden centers. Milorganite is another brand name. Milorganite, okay. Milorganite, yeah. But either one of those release release the nitrogen and the phosphorus and the potassium very, very slowly. And because the azaleas have such a real wide fibrous root system, they much prefer to have a slowly released nutrient on it rather than a quickly released one like some of the lawn fertilizers or 10-10-10. So that's what I think you should do. Organic fertilizer, azaleas. Now, it'll tell you on the bag how much to put down and then maybe next year after they finish blooming another application then wouldn't be a bad idea as well it's 728 the news talk wsb 69 degrees outside we'll be back to more lawn and garden right after news i had a dream that no one else could see you gave me love It's the law.
Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.34 on a Saturday morning, 69 degrees outside still. Not so hot and not so humid today. It's going to be a nice day. I think you can garden most of the day. And if you want to know what you should be doing anytime that you're gardening today, 404-872-0750. Ashley Frask is doing a great job screening calls this morning, answering questions off the air as well. Scott Maxim's got that music under his fingertips, ready to go, keeping us on the air as well. All you have to do is join us, 404 872 0750. James is out in Winder and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, James, good morning. Morning, Walter. How you doing? I'm doing all right. What's up? Okay, so uh, four years ago, me and my wife bought our first home, and the people that owned it before us had amazing landscape, rose bushes, all kind of awesome stuff. Yeah. Uh, we've got three fruit trees. Um, one end of the yard has an apple tree and a pear tree. The other end has another pear tree. Now, both pear trees are are two different types of pears. Got it. I'm not sure what type, but I just know they're delicious. That's all I know. <laughs> That's uh, all you have to is, know. I guess is the main thing. So, um, the problem, though, um, when we first moved in four years ago, uh, man, these things were like the both of the pear trees were awesome. Man, they were just very fruitful. I mean, to the point where they were snapping limbs. Oh yeah, like, yeah, sure. They get a lot of pears, and the limbs just pop off because there's so much weight. Yes, sir. So. That was awesome. Um, second year, it pretty much did the same thing. And I, I think I tr- um, well trimmed the limbs too early or something. I think I kind of stunt, stunted it or did something to it. Okay. Uh, because last year, neither one of them did anything at all. And last year, meaning 2014 or this growing season? Yeah, okay. Last summer, a year ago. What happened this year? Well, this year, they both. Uh, they both bloom like they, or, you know, usually do, and they actually produce fruit. And, and I mean, we thought it was going to do the same thing it did, you know, four years ago, where it just an abundance because it was so many blooms and so many little, you know, pears. The weird thing this year, though, all of the pears grew, but they only got about golf ball size, and then all of them just started falling off and dying. Ha. None of them would get like no bigger than a, you know. Uh, golf ball, if that. I mean, these right. things would get almost softball size. Wow. Four years ago. So yeah, I let me, no idea what's going on, man. Let me tell you what I, th- what I think, James, and this is not going to be a really satisfactory answer for you, but this is what I think goes on. I think for most of us, when we plant a, let's say, a fruiting tree, an apple, pear, peach, whatever, we think, okay, I'm going to dig a hole, put it in the ground, it's going to grow for a couple of years, it'll have fruit, Everybody lives happily ever after eating an apple or a pear or a peach or whatever from the tree that we plant today. And the process of actually getting fruit on that tree from the time you've planted is really a lot more complicated than we give it credit for. The tree has to do so many things right, and the weather has to be so many times just right for the plant to happen. Even things, stupid things like the day that it was blooming real heavily back in the spring, if there was a real heavy rain that day, which can happen in March and April when they bloom, 
it can wash all the pollen off the flowers, knock flowers off the plant, and you don't get many fruit at all that year. But you don't maybe remember about the heavy rain that came when it was when it was blooming, or right. if you have a drought. Sometimes drought will affect trees for a couple of three years after the drought is gone, and the tree is still sort of recovering its root system from that drought and won't put any any fruit much on it. Or maybe you know. There could be, I guess there could be lots of other things too. Dry weather is the one that has affected a lot of things this year, I guess. But the complicating things that can make a pear not bare is not always something you can solve simply by saying, well, fertilize it, James. That's all you have to do is fertilize it. Or be sure you water it, James. That's all you have to do. So my guess is if the trees are reasonably healthy, got a lot of green leaves on them right now, that the best you can do is say, I'm you know, going to wait for next year and see what happens next time. Okay. And I, have, I will say, I've, I haven't done anything. I've never fertilized them. I've never done anything mm. like that to them. The only thing I've done is, is, like I said, trimmed them that time. But I've never, I don't even, to be honest with you, I've never even personally watered them. I don't water <laughs> whatever the more brings to them, you know. But, All right. Look, most gardeners want to do something. And I, I sort of see or I hear a hint in your voice, James, that you would like to do at least a little bit. At least you can talk to your wife and say, honey, this is what I did today. Let's fertilize them. All right, it won't hurt anything. It might help a lot. So the way to fertilize a pear tree, apple tree, pecan tree, most of the fruit and nut-bearing trees, is simply to figure out how thick, how wide the trunk is, about four feet off the ground. So you walk up to it, put one hand, one palm against one side of the trunk, one palm against the opposite side of the trunk, back off a couple of feet, say, well, it's about 10 inches wide. That's great. And so for every inch in width, you put down a pound of 10, 10, 10. So let's say it's 12 inches wide, 12 pounds of 10, 10, 10 scattered way out beyond the uh, limbs, the drip line, go four or five feet past the drip line underneath the tree. And that's how you fertilize trees. You okay. measure the width of the trunk, a pound of 10, 10, 10 uh, per inch. And that at least you can go inside and say, honey, this is what I did today. I fertilized our pear tree. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Maybe next spring everything will work to our benefit and we'll have pretty plums or pretty pears, I mean, next year. Well, I, I appreciate that advice, man. Yeah, I, I figure if I could do something, that'll make me feel a little bit better. Exactly. Huh? Just do something. <laughs> something, James. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, well, I appreciate your advice, man. I love listening to you every Saturday. So. Thank you, James. Thank you for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for your calls. I appreciate right. talking to yes, you. We got Eddie in Madison, not too far from him. Eddie, join us on Lawn and Garden. Good morning. How are we doing? Hey, morning. Doing fine, Eddie. Thanks for calling. What's Good. up? I've, had, I've got a Japanese maple that I've transplanted um, back in the spring it started out doing really well nice nice pretty leaves and over the last month or so it is doesn't look happy it's kind of a yellowish orangish yeah, yeah. kind of um, leaves and stuff and we've been keeping plenty of water on it and just didn't know what we need to do to make it perky let me ask you this are the leaves actually turning brown and falling off or are the leaves no. staying on but they're yellowish colored yeah they're staying on they're, yeah they're kind of a little barn orange color they're staying on they're not falling yeah. off I knew somebody was going to ask me about this because just last week I was noticing the exact same thing on a friend's Japanese maple, and I said to her, look here, somebody's going to ask me this one Saturday morning, and I'm observing it on your Jap maple right now, and 
the whole process of the leaves turning this sort of muddy yellow orangey color is called viridescence, which basically means the purple color fades and the green color comes on because it's too hot in the afternoons. That's exactly what goes on. Okay. When it gets above 90 degrees, uh, Japanese maples sometimes lose their, a lot of them do, they lose their purple color that they had back in the spring and early summer, and they gradually green or yellow or orange up a little bit. The leaves don't fall off, but they just get too hot. That's all that's going on. Okay, that's what I, I that's what I was hoping. So, because yeah, it has been hot. Oh well, that's great then. And I will go tell my friend that viridescence it came through that Eddie called me about it today. That's what, what it um, is. How, viridescence. How much? Um, what is your recommendation on fertilizer for the Japanese maple? Not much. <laughs> okay. Um, right. If you had a handful of lawn fertilizer that did not have a weed killer in it, you could throw that over on it. Handful mm. of 10, 10, once or twice a summer. That's plenty. It doesn't need much. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks for calling. All right, bye. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Eddie's place. We got uh, who? John. John's in Alpharetta. John joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, John, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. What's up? Oh, great. Um, I'm having uh, issues with one of my most favorite shrubs, uh, the hydrangeas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got a courtyard-type home, and we've got probably four or five of them in there. Uh, Over the years, they've just been beautiful with big blue. Uh, blue blooms on them and everything. Yeah. Starting last year, uh, they filled out, but they didn't bloom at all. And I didn't know if it was due to the uh, the hard winter we had before that. In addition to that, as the season went on, the leaves started browning on me around the edges, and then getting brown spots on them, and then yeah. started getting real. The plants just started getting real weedy looking. Right, right, right. Uh, and then uh, this year, and then they, uh, and I live in a community where they do come in and uh, take care of the. The, uh, the yard and pruning and all that. So they pruned the back pretty heavy last year. Yeah. Yesterday they came back out, and again, they were very full in leaves. Uh, there again, no blooms. But now uh, the leaves, same thing, the leaves are starting to shrivel up, get brown, yeah. brown spots. Uh, just real nasty looking. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I don't know the, what's going on. There's so many times that I've noticed in my own yard what's happening to my shrubs and think somebody's going to call me about this. I need to be sure I've got my answer straightened uh-huh. up in my head. Same thing. I've got some hydrangeas in the backyard that have a lot of sun on them, and they've got spots, and they got shriveled-up leaves, and they right. just don't look right. And I've got some in the front yard that are underneath the shade of a cherry tree. they got pretty leaves on them, had a few flowers this, this summer. They look just fabulous. But what I think is going on is if you have a lot of afternoon sunshine on hydrangeas, they do shrivel a little bit in the late summer, and they do certainly get a leaf spot disease that I think is, uh, we call it hydrangea leaf spot, Cercospora is one name for it, or a big science word there. But hydrangea leaf spot is very common on hydrangeas that have a good bit of sunshine on them. Right. And not a heck of a lot you can do about it, frankly, unless you're really, really good and obsessive about watering them so they never dry out. In the summertime, so I mean, you can't move them. It's going to be hard with that little right. courtyard. You can't move them around there. So try to water as best you can. And uh, if you felt like putting a fungicide on it, start doing that around the middle of June when the disease first gets started up. That's the time to spray, not when you see it in the middle to late July. How about fertilizer? I've never fertilized them. Another one that's pretty, one of those handful here and a handful there, not much. They don't need a lot. Um, So a handful of 10-10-10 or landscape fertilizer or something like that would be fine on them. But the the blooms, I wanted to go back to the blooms, John, Uh that um, a lot of folks this year who had 
hydrangeas that were sort of exposed during the winter this past time in 2014-2015 found that they had beautiful leaves, wonderful plants, good-looking, healthy shrub, not a bloom on them. <laughs> and the reason for that is pretty simple. All the blooming parts of a hydrangea are concentrated in the end of branches, about the first three, four, maybe five buds at the end of a branch. And a lot of that got frozen off by that severe cold that we had in January of 2015, mm -hmm. and with those tips of the branches frozen off, then there wasn't anything to come out and bloom for you. So that's okay. basically what it is, just okay. winter damage, not a big deal, just happens sometimes. Just one more question. Um, as far as pruning the hydrangeas, I know in the winter, uh, typically they come back. Should you not prune at all on a hydrangea? You should, should not you? prune after the 1st of August. For, and, this, and I'm talking here about the what we call big leaf hydrangeas, the pink and the, right, yeah, and the blue, good. you know, uh -huh. big blooms like that. Don't prune them after the 1st of August. So in the wintertime, which is what they've been doing, they've been coming in and cutting these things down. That is a no bad thing. Okay. <laughs> that right. is cutting off all the bloom wood that they had on them. Put, okay. a, all right. put a stick in a sign that says, do not touch these. Walter said so. All right. Good. <laughs> all right, John. Well, thank you very much. Hey, man, thanks for calling. You have a great day. You bet. Let's go real quickly here to Richard in Woodstock, see if we can get this done before the before the break. Hey, Richard, good morning. Good morning. I'll be real quick. Uh, I've been following your advice about transplanting trees in the summer not to do that, but I didn't have any choice. I had two six-foot uh, camellia trees I had to move because they're yeah. putting in the air conditioning coil right yeah. in front of it. And uh, I dug the hole, you know, like three times the size in uh, the normal hole and put a lot of mixture of dirt, and in the past you've told me, my question is really about watering, but I'm telling you what I did before the watering, and uh, I've heard you said you didn't need to mix, uh, uh, in the past, uh, all kinds of uh, amendments to the soil, that uh, this is a pretty, uh, to me, had a pretty uh, shallow root system, right, and, right. Uh, but I went ahead and, as I have done for years, put a little bit of peat moss and yeah, you're fine. Like you're fine to do that. Sometimes I say don't mix amendments when you're planting a tree because tree's root system is just so big. It's just so wide and far out. You can't dig enough, and you uh -huh. can't mix enough organic matter for a tree's root system to really benefit. But for shrubs, and I think camellias would be considered a shrub, even though they're sometimes sort of tree-like, right. um, mixing stuff in with the soil then is good. I, I don't disagree with, with doing that. Well, uh, the real question is about watering. How how frequently and how often uh, this time of the year? And I've heard uh, you know do so many gallons, but I use a hose. I can't. I don't know how to measure. Yeah. The Water. <laughs> if I were doing it with my hose at my pressure and my situation at my house, I would water it for about two minutes. And your, I mean, your goal is basically what you think of all the time. My goal is to keep the water or keep the soil moist but not soggy. And on real, real hot days, it may take watering every two or three days. And during the cooler parts of the summertime, like it's starting to be now, watering every five to seven days is probably just fine. But as long as you keep the soil moist but not soggy, that's the goal you're looking for. Do that, and hopefully the tomatoes will do fine. Richard, i got to go, but I do appreciate your call. It's 749 at News Talk WSB. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. 
And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Don't forget, the Bulldogs will be here in just a few weeks, and so you might want to get all your gardening done now before the Bulldogs come so you're not worried about the outdoors when you need to be inside watching the Bulldogs on TV or listening to them on the radio. Today's temperature is going up into the high 80s, but probably not breaking 90. The overnight temperature is uh, mid to high 60s, I guess. Not much rain coming up in the next few days, but stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes. If you pick up the Atlanta Journal-Constitution tomorrow, you will have coupons worth $207. Ashley Frasco, let's make somebody happy right now. Let's do the weekend prize pack. Coupons make me happy, too. What does? Coupons. Coupons and bulldogs and Weekend prize packs as well. We'll determine who's going to win a pair of tickets to see Yes and Toto Saturday, August 22nd at Verizon Wireless Amphitheater at Encore Park, produced by ASO Presents, plus a McDonald's $25 arch card, some money, and a place to get some food before we go to the concert. So where would which contestant, which caller is going to win, Ash? Lucky caller number four. Caller number four to our contest line, 404 741 Zero seven fifty four zero four seven four one zero seven fifty. Since we have just a few minutes right now, a reminder that if you go to my website WalterReeves.com, there are lots and lots and lots of resources there for you to use to figure out what's going on with your garden. If you have a problem, I have a search line. You can, of course, type one or two words in the search line and find things I've written about tomatoes or Bermuda lawns or things like that. If you want to get posts during the week, I do a lot of sort of tips and ideas and things during the week. You can follow me on Twitter at Walter Reeves. You can be a Facebook fan on the Georgia Gardener fan page and just click on the like button at Georgia Gardener uh, on Facebook. There are lots of things you can get there. And hopefully you'll be a better gardener and won't even need to call the radio show on a Saturday morning. Our number, 404-872-0750. In a few minutes, we'll talk to Pat in Douglasville, who wants to leave her plants for 10 days. She's out of town. What do we do to get her plants watered? Cindy in College Park has a question about grass seed and how to plant it. And Amy in Snellville has daylilies, but they have rust. And now she's a little worried about the other plants in her garden. All that coming up in the next half hour. Right now, we'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. It's waiting there for you. 